Enough is enough. It's time to put America first. Welcome, everyone. Bienvenidos to another podcast for the Hispanics Lead Right, presented by the Republican National Hispanic Assembly of Florida. Welcome back, everybody. We are so happy to be back on Hispanics Lead Right. And uh, today's a very special day. We have a brand new co-host on the program, uh, Lucia Scaramacchia. Boom. Welcome, Back Lucia. <laughs> hey, Santiago. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be well, a co-host with you. Awesome. We're so excited to have you on here. Uh, we look forward to uh, doing a lot of amazing podcasts. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself so our listeners can uh, get to know you a little bit. Um, some actually already know you as the conservative next door, but, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Lucia Scaramacchia. I was born in Italy, uh, raised in the United States. My mother's Peruvian. My father's Italian. So imagine I eat really, really good. Um, best food in the world. <laughs> Good food. Have to throw it out there. Every time I try to start a diet, it doesn't work because I just, you know, have good cuisine in my blood. Um, <laughs> so that's a little bit about me. I grew up in the United States. Um, when I was in high school, I wanted to be a ballerina. My dad said, uh, only 1% of those people make it, so you need to find another career. And he pointed me in the direction of law. I started taking debate classes in high school and I fell in love with the history of the United States. I fell in love with the Constitution and ever since then my career in law and in politics really just took off from there. So I thank my dad for that. Um, and also being a ballerina wouldn't have worked out as well. <laughs> so I have this <laughs> new passion that I absolutely love. Um, I graduated from FIU with a degree in political science and history, concentration, American history, and also uh, religious studies. Um, and while I was in FIU, which is Florida International University, I also got to be the senator at large of the entire university, which was fun. I got to campaign, wow. I got to debate. And uh, in SGA in Florida International University, they actually pay you to be senator. So it was awesome got a little taste of that interned for uh rick scott for his re-election as well um after my graduation i went to washington dc started studying at johns hopkins um and i then started working for the mayor of dc didn't like it whatsoever uh dc was a bit too <laughs> liberal too liberal for my taste i couldn't stand it and i decided it was time to pack my bags and come back to florida 
Um, and now I work in the family businesses. I do a lot of immigration law. Um, and I have my own YouTube channel, which is awesome. The Conservative Next Door, uh, where I give you the latest news and updates from a Christian conservative um, perspective. And I absolutely love doing that. If it wasn't for my friend Alejandra, that wouldn't have happened. But, you know, Santiago, it just feels so natural <laughs> being in the world of politics and law. It almost feels like I'm breathing. And that's when you know you found your purpose and your passion when it's just so simple to do and you love doing it um and, and by the grace of you know, god yeah go ahead yeah by the grace of god um he directed me to you and to the rnha and i am extremely thankful and humbled that i get to be the vice chairwoman of florida and lead alongside you so i'm looking forward to you know what the next few years have in store well, I can tell you that uh, a lot of us are extremely excited to have you on board. Um, our former co-host, Michael Bowman, uh, stepped down from the position of state publisher and uh, podcast host uh, because he is uh, dealing with some personal uh, things. And uh, he's a really great writer. And, uh, you know, we, we we're thankful for the time he gave us. Uh, hopefully we can have him back as a state publisher at some time in the future. But uh, he, he wanted to take some personal time, and uh, I just wanted to throw that out there that uh, he, he left on good terms, and uh, we wish him the best in his future endeavors. Uh, that being said, that we are super excited, Lucia, to have you uh, on board. <clears throat> you are our new vice chairwoman, and uh, you know a lot of people are very impressed with some of the things that you're doing. And uh, you're very hands-on, and uh, you're very... Uh, you're a very good go-getter. So um, welcome on board. Thank you for Thank you. being a, mo- a motivator. Thank you for uh, putting yourself out there. And uh, we're gonna kick we're gonna kick butt for these United States of America. That that's for sure. Oh, and that's um, we actually have an amazing interview today. And uh, you want to tell us a little bit about who we're gonna interview today, Lucia? Yes. So today we are going to interview Miss Anna Paulina, and she is a conservative running in Florida for the House of Representatives. Is that correct, Santiago? The House of Reps? She, no, she's actually running for Congress. Right for Congress. Um, yes. For yes, for the House of Representatives. So not she's not running to be a senator, but for the House in Congress. And so in the U.S. Congress, yes, correct in the U.S. Congress. So that is huge. She is young. She decided that she was uh, not going to go to med school and follow um, this career in law in politics to represent um, her constituents. And so I'm excited to have her on. She's on fire and she's a go-getter as well. So I'm excited to hear what she has to say. Exactly. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick commercial break. We have to pay the bills. And when we come back on, we should have Miss Anna Paulina Luna with us for this uh, uh, very good interview that we're about to have. And we are 
back, ladies and gentlemen. We have Miss Anna Paulina on the line, ready to answer our questions. Um, and so, Anna, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Yes, thank you for having me on, you guys. Um, my name is Anna Paulina Luna. I am a congressional candidate running for office in Florida 13, which is Pinellas County. I am running as a Republican, and I think what's setting me aside from a lot of candidates currently is that I'm one of the most prominent voices for conservative Hispanic outreach in the nation. Awesome. Amazing. Awesome. That, that, that is amazing, Anna. Um, Anna, you know, you're running against a very uh, controversial person, uh, Charlie Crist, and uh, a lot of us conservatives are actually rooting for you and hoping that you wipe the floor with the flip-flopper <laughs> as much as you can. <laughs> Thank so you. A lot of people are is... wanting me to... Sorry, go ahead and get rid of no, Charlie no, no. Chris. He's been a Republican, an independent, and a Democrat. <laughs> yeah, we all make fun of him because he's running out of parties to join. So uh, hopefully uh, when you're done with him, that will be hopefully the end of Charlie Chris, and we don't have to worry about seeing him anymore. Uh, yeah, hopefully let's get right agree. into the questions. Yeah, let's get right into the questions. Uh, Lucia, do you want to start off with your question and then uh, we'll go back and forth? Yes. Okay. So you did mention uh, why people should vote for you apart from the other candidates. But can you elaborate on that more? Why should people vote for you and what makes you stand out above the other candidates? Um, I think it's, it's pretty incredible because right now what we're seeing is, especially with the younger generation, that uh, there's so much clout given to this younger group of women that have really decided to title themselves a squad and to take affirmative action in, in the sense that they're demanding that if people don't go along with their ideologies that we're all of a sudden race traitors or racist, that's just not the viewpoint that I have. Obviously, I'm very conservative, but I think, you know, what sets me apart from everyone currently running is that I have absolutely in the last year put a ton of effort and um, really taken action nationally and it's and it's impossible also you can see kind of the um the fruit of my labors as they say and so i am one of these i'm not your typical candidate i definitely am not from a political family but what's so incredible about this race is one i am as grassroots as it gets so i've been leveraging my social media platform in an effort to really raise those small dollar donations which i'm totally going to ask everyone listening now if you can please donate you know five ten even fifty dollars that goes such a long way in this campaign um, but then I also do a lot of what I'm talking on policy-wise is something that I've experienced directly. And so, you know, I think that we need more outsiders in D.C. and I'm hoping to, hoping to be one of them. Okay, That's awesome. awesome. And where, awesome. where can people uh, donate to your campaign? What website can they go to? If you go to my campaign website, it should be www.votonapalina.com. Or you can find any of my donation links. I know um, we're, we're using the same fundraising platform as the president, so it's called WinRed. Um, you can find all of those donation links directly on my Facebook, my Twitter, and my Instagram, the direct URL donations. Thank you. Santiago, do you want to ask the awesome. next question? Yeah, of course. Uh, so let, let's touch up on a little bit of uh, an environmental topic. Um, we know that, you know, the left has done an amazing job in labeling conservatives anti-environment and people don't realize that yeah. environmental issues are actually conservative issues. So um, I want to get into there and uh, get into this really quick because I know you are a big environmentalist. I mean, you, you're conservative, but you also care about our environment, which I think is important. Um, here in Florida specifically, uh, we're increasingly having an issue with sewers. 
we have a lot of politicians, local politicians, pushing this whole septic to sewer narrative and uh, not really finding a long-term solution. Um, I don't know if you're following some of the things like, for example, in Randy Fines District uh, by Brevard County, they, they've had gallons and gallons and hundreds of gallons of uh, sewage spillage into into the waters. So um, Yeah, that's are, actually happening in my thoughts? district as well. Um, you know, okay. it's, it, you're absolutely right. I think that in part why the left, and I don't even want to say all Democrats, because there's a difference between Democrats and then leftists, right? Like leftists are the extreme um, faction that we have right now that's even going as far as uh, pushing socialism. And it's in my opinion that some of these efforts that they're pushing that's literally taking power away from the people, power away from organizations and putting it in the hand of big government, that is in no way, shape or form going to solve some of these problems. So what I always like to say is what's not conservative about conserving the environment? Um, it might sound a little bit tacky, but it's definitely, it reminds people, you know, at the end of the day, if you can literally take five seconds to recycle, do what you can do to kind of um, limit your impact, I think that that's always the best solution. And so going back to the sewage issue, you know, for, for I think about two years now i've been very closely affiliated with a nonprofit called force blue force blue works to do coral reef restoration off the coast of florida specifically in the keys area and it does it through hiring um combat wounded veterans so actually it hits two birds with one stone but you know tying back into the local issues of what's happening with the red red tides well we know that in florida a lot of our tourism for the state comes off of or a lot of our um, income for the state comes off tourism in addition to that you know, we have the fishing communities and red tide is one of those issues that can be linked to the sewage because when you have higher instances of the sewage pouring into the ocean, it's actually increasing the amount of algae bloom and the red tide bloom that we have in these areas. And so what my, you know, it's kind of funny to bring that up because no one likes to talk about it. It's obviously a gross issue. No one to think that they're literally swimming in sewage, but that's absolutely something that's been an issue in our areas as well. But it's like, you know, what you, you putting a carbon tax onto these, or, you know, green tax, onto these local businesses is not going to fix that problem. And aside from that, why are we taxing small businesses when instead we should be providing tax breaks and incentives for these businesses to grow that would help the local economy and, you know, increase um, overall the state economy. And so the way that I look at some of these issues is that, you know, it's never, I think, in the history of the United States has government been able to come in and actually fix something and make it better. So if we can, you know, incentivize small businesses, if we can incentivize organizations that will go and like force blue and actually make sure 110 percent that these problems are being solved and fixed that's in my in my opinion a way better solution and you know aside from that looking at what's happening with the new green deal i mean they're literally hoping that by taxing the american people and literally i mean what is the number like every single american family would have to pay to have the hundreds of thousands of dollars for this plan to even quote unquote work which it would never even solve the problem to begin with but you have uh, countries like China, like Vietnam, like India, where we're sending our manufacturing to that are really the ones that are contributing to this global pollution. So why are we ending up having to pick up the tab on this? You know, what we should be doing right. is encouraging these businesses to come back home. We should be, you know, organizing this in our trade agreements, not paying into these programs or, you know, the, uh, like the uh, Paris Climate Accord that's not really going to fix the problem in the first place. And so, you know, you talk to people about it. Um, I've gone out and I've actually dove in the keys. I've dealt with it and I've talked to some of these scientists. And, you know, I'm the first person to say, hey, look, I, you know, if I can, you guys might make fun of me, but yes, I have a metal straw. Um, if I can avoid single-use plastics, <laughs> I can. But I'm also not going to sit there and, like, you know, pass legislation that's going to outright ban certain things. I would hope that people can do it the right way, make these own choices by their own means, and then at the end of the day, if we can, you know, encourage businesses to do the right thing, let's do that. Let's not 
take this totalitarian, almost eco-fascist perspective on the whole thing. Perfect, perfect. That 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 sounds amazing. And uh, <laughs> and you're right. We we really need to focus on our environment and um, referring to uh, small businesses and and and, and local businesses. Uh, getting on board, you're 100% correct. I know personally uh, a gentleman by the name of Steve Edmonds, who he he found an amazing solution to help with the red tide, which is a uh, hemp for water. But you know the word hemp is it's literally like a bad word for for a lot of people. And, uh, <laughs> it is, but, and, you know, and and I hate to go back to this, but when you have, I'm sorry to interrupt, and this is like one of those things that I think that really the scientific community, I wish more people would speak up because you know even CBD is one of those things that people think automatically that CBD is affiliated with THC and it's not there is CBD without THC and it's you know had I've actually read research papers where it shows that it can help with people that have anxiety that it can help with inflammation and so when you have big pharma you know trying to bury this stuff and then you see people that might not even be you know with it in regards to really what you know our current generation is thinking in addition to that what you know, scientific um, findings have come out, then they're not going to be able to be those voices on, you know, kind of the reasoning behind why we should allow some of these, um, you know, some of this legislation and or some of these products to be used to really fix that problem, right? You know, honestly, in my, in my opinion, hemp, if it helps the environment, why are we not using it? It's the most organic thing possible. Exactly. And our founding fathers actually used to grow hemp a lot. Um, Lucia, yeah, that's tobacco. Uh, what are your thoughts? Exactly. Yes. Uh, what are your thoughts, Lucia? What uh, I know you have a couple of questions as well. No, yes, I do have questions. In terms of hemp, I will make no comment on that. No comment on hemp. Um, <laughs> and that you guys uh, continue in that. But I will say um, I am glad that Anna doesn't want to outright ban plastic straws and take away my freedom <laughs> to want to use a plastic straw if I want to. <laughs> Um, but I, I will say that I have moved to tumblers, okay, and so I just don't reuse a tumbler because I want to, okay, not because anyone forced me to. So I love that about you, Anna. You're not here um, trying to force your beliefs on anyone, but really trying to educate your constituents, which honestly is a better payout in the long run, right, because we want our constituents to to know what they're doing, know what they're getting into, and not make that decision for them, right? Um, so exactly. The next, yeah, the next question I have for you is, what will be the first item you will begin working on, if elected, and why? So the first thing that I'm going to be tackling is welfare reform, and this is something that really hits near and dear to my heart, as well as something that I've seen just uh, in all of my time doing the national outreach, in addition to just talking to people from all different demographics and walks of life, it's crazy to me that in the 21st century that people are not allowed to get married if they're in the welfare system. I mean, you encourage people, you encourage mothers to have a single income for their home. They have homes without fathers. They have homes that they'll never be able to fully, you know, attain the American dream because they're always going to be working double, or, or I'd say like probably three times the amount, you know, as a mom, that's a job in itself. Then you have your J job and then you're coming back and dealing with all these things. I mean, we should be encouraging the family unit to work together so that these people don't end up being in cycles of poverty and they can eventually work their way out of the welfare system. So that's one of the first things that I'm going to be tackling. Um, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I personally did grow up in the welfare system. And for me, it took me joining the military to really leave that, to be able to, one, pay for my own education, but also, two, to be able to send money back home 
to really help out my family so that they could eventually leave that uh, system in itself. And it's, you know, it's one of those things that I think if more people were willing to talk about these personal experiences and then how we can fix them instead of being embarrassed, I think that we have a lot more solution, but we just don't. You know, in politics as a whole, you have this stereotype of what it means to be a politician running for office. And I'm just not that person. And I've always told my constituents and also two people that are on my campaign, I am who I am and I'm not going to pretend to be something that I'm not. And so that is the first thing that I'll be tackling. And then after that, I would like to address a national concealed carry. And I say that because of, you know, again, some personal experiences. I just don't understand why it is that if I have three three different states that I carry in, Florida, Oregon, and Washington, why can't I carry in California? I've passed background checks and done you know, adequate training in all these states. It's my American right to do so. I think that you, you give people that opportunity, you'll see definitely a, de- a decrease in crime stats. Right. And okay. um, let's say if we do the national uh, concealed carry, would that be imposing on states' rights or do you not look at it that way? I don't look at that way because I think that it gives states the opportunity to get on board with that. And then, it, it, like, minus California, right? Because you'll have states like New York and California that says, oh, we don't want that. But then right. they're imposing on their rights of their constituents. And so I look at this like this. This is essentially part of that Second Amendment, right? Shall not be in Correct. So if we're giving people the opportunity to carry every single... I think that that's more or less the, um, the viewpoint that I would look at that. You do have people in certain states that don't care about the Second Amendment, and they're doing everything that they can currently to do away with it. And they don't understand that <laughs> that wording, that there's no implications of gun control in anything that our founding fathers put out there. So um, in my opinion... One, I think it's absolutely constitutional, and two, I think it's actually doing right by the people in some of those states that haven't been given the opportunity to really fully use their Second Amendment. Amazing. Thank you for clarifying that. I couldn't agree more. Thank you. So uh, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break, and uh, we'll be right back. Your life has changed since your auto injury. In fact, auto injuries not only cause pain, but they cause hardship as well. At Harmony Clinic Medical and Chiropractic, their mission is to help you regain mobility, ease your pain, and more importantly, to help you recover. Paying special attention to injuries unique to car accidents, such as whiplash, back pain, neck pain, and headache. Harmony Clinic Medical and Chiropractic are a great group of people that really care about your well-being. For more information, go to HarmonyClinicFL.com or call 386-774-6337. And we are back uh, with Ana Paulina Luna, and uh, I'm your host or your co-host Santiago Avila Jr. And uh, we have our co- other co-host uh, Lucia Caramaki on as well. Uh, Anna, you know, before we went on our uh, commercial break, you started talking about a very touchy subject to some, which was uh, uh, pretty much uh, a constitutional or a uh, concealed carry uh, across the board. Now, um, I consider myself a constitutional conservative more than anything. Uh, before I call myself a Republican, I call myself a constitutional conservative. And um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but, you know, Lake County, uh, we have an amazing rep in Lake County, Anthony Sabatini, is proposing a uh, constitutional carry for the state. And um, just uh, the other day, Lake County actually became a gun sanctuary, which I was looking at all this and I'm thinking to myself, wow, a a, a gun sanctuary, we have the God-given right 
meaning that it's something that was given by God, our creator. In other words, if it's not given by the government, the right it cannot be taken away. Yep. Exactly. Yep. So my question to you, which kind of falls into that, it's a, it's a two-part question. One, would you promote a constitutional carry, which I think you already answered that. And two, how do you feel about red flag laws and all these people trying to push them? Uh, okay, so the answer to the first part, absolutely, I would promote a constitutional carry. And then my biggest problem with red flag laws, which I'll just say outright, um, I do not support red flag laws. And I don't because, one, I think that they're absolutely ridiculous and they're going to be taken out of context. context. I don't trust yep. the federal government to interpret anything up to what they think is right. And I say that because, you know, you look at what happened with President Trump and FISA. I mean, that was never supposed to be able to happen. You're not supposed to be able to spy on American citizens. And yet here you had FISA courts giving a warrant um, to really spy on a presidential candidate, which is completely non-constitutional. But aside from that, you know, when I read the verbiage of what some of these red flag laws were proposing, um, there was something that stuck out to me. Being a veteran, that was very key. You had them saying that if someone suffered from a mental health condition, now, if you look up in the American Psychiatry Association, the definition of post-traumatic stress disorder, it's actually considered a mental health condition. So what that translated to me is that automatically, if you were diagnosed with PTSD or you had a family member that was diagnosed with PTSD, that person is automatically in that category for someone who probably should not be owning firearms. There is no way in any way, shape or form, you're going to tell me that taking away firearms from someone is going to stop them from committing an evil act. And I say that because... Again, going back to my personal experience, and I know this is probably going to make me sound like I am someone who probably should have had daddy issues, and they don't know how I got through it, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Growing up, I experienced some things with firearms that probably would lead a lot of people to think that I would be pro-Second Amendment. The first one was is that at nine, I walked into an armed robbery. I survived that. I could positively identify the people robbing the store. Um, I remember going up to the gun counter, and there was literally, I think at nine years old, I was literally at um, eye level with the counter and I could see the gun. I saw the guy's face and I just ran over to my dad and I remember my dad saying, hey, just duck down here, cover your eyes, don't look. And then when the cops came, because we were still there after um, the robbers had left, he said, I'm just going to put my hands up, just hold on to me so they they don't want to be robbing the store so they didn't get shot. So that was the first thing. I had a cousin murdered when I was 12. At 16, one of the six high schools I attended was Venice High School. There was a gang shooting on campus while I was attending that resulted in a young 17-year-old boy getting killed. And uh, at 19, I had another friend that was murdered. And then later on, when I joined the military at around 20 years old, I had a home invasion of which I did not own a firearm at the time. And it pretty pretty much left me so far traumatized that I couldn't sleep for years. And it wasn't really until I moved to Florida when I was in the military that I got my concealed care and I was finally able to sleep through the night for the first time and I don't know how long. So where my argument comes into all these things is that you have so many bad things happening and people don't ever want to discredit the fact that it's evil people doing evil things that when you are removing God and replacing uh, government with that, that you want to completely discredit the family unit. You're not wanting to bring in the whole concept of what morality is. Yes, you're going to have some awful things happening. There is in no way, shape or form anything that's going to change if you're removing firearms. And I say that because if you look at what's happening in England, you have people literally driving vehicles into into air, like crowded areas because they don't 
like Western culture, you literally have people stabbing people. I mean, it's going to continue happening. And so the difference between us and the UK and the rest of the world and why places like Hong Kong look to the United States is because we are a free nation. We have the Second Amendment that protects us. It keeps us more, us more powerful than our government. And that is something that I will always continue to fight for. And that is my answer on the red flag laws. I really appreciate that. You, you kind of nailed it on the head and actually... Uh, in London specifically, they're they're looking to because they have a lot of strong gun control, and they're looking to yep. pass the knife control now because there's been a lot of people out <laughs> there stabbing people. And you know, yep. if you look at the statistics, you know, a, a lot of people are like, "Oh, show me the facts." Chicago, California, the 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 most restrictive gun places have. And New York. Look at Chicago, where I was born, and and New York, but Chicago, where I was born, they have a murder. It's like there, there's gun violence every single day um and they have one of the strictest gun control laws so you know you're right uh we we have a right to bear arms and uh you know anybody that's running for office that argues anything other than that and talks about taking away or infringing your right to bear arms should really not be running for office and, and that's just my they personal opinion and I say, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll close up with this. You know, if they didn't think that people like me and you weren't a threat, then why are we being censored? I mean, if this really wasn't a problem and they didn't know that we were telling the truth, then why, why prevent us from even getting the message out there? And that to me, when you have government, when you have organizations, when you have, you know, companies like Facebook, Twitter, Google censoring that message, censoring the truth, that's how you know you have a problem. And so for me, I mean, I'm digging in my feet on this one. I will go toe to toe with anyone who wants to debate me on this because I've experienced it. I've gone through it. And it's kind of interesting because I was talking to one of my campaign strategists and they're saying, you know, it's crazy because all of your life experiences are really putting you in a line to fight what socialism brings in, right? Socialism wants gun control. Socialism promotes a welfare state. Socialism literally uh, takes away God and replaces it with government. It's just all these experiences I speak of, not from just opinion, but from life experience. And, you know, here's, here's another frustrating thing, too. They have actively worked at not fixing immigration. And it's like, you know, they 110%, I was on stage arguing, I was with um, a couple of CNN commentators, and a Playboy columnist, and I was at Politicon, or not Politicon, um, yeah, I was at Politicon, and the guy said, oh, well, and then she was at Hispanic, she goes, oh, yeah, well, if we don't allow people to come here, who's going to work the field? And he was talking about Mexicans, and for me, that was, like, for one, completely a stereotype. They don't want to promote the fact that if you are Hispanic, that you can be a, a strong business owner, you can be a doctor, a lawyer. They want to stereotype people into us being the labor force, because if you can control people in that mindset, if you can control people and really dumb down an entire demographic of people then they hold control and for me honestly i mean i'm not a revolutionary by any means but like come on like we're not that dumb <laughs> and so when i can work with other people on this like you guys and really get that message out there i mean for me it resonates and it's making change and they don't want that change but that's too bad because it's not just one person it's not just me leading out the fight it's like you guys it's people like lexa it's people like Bienvenido, like RNHA. I mean, there's so many different organizations that are these voices, and they can't kill an entire movement because the message is already spread. So that's where I stand, I stand on that one. <laughs> exactly, exactly. They can censor one of us, but they can't censor all of us. And yes, so they exactly. can try to, but that's not, that's not going to be pretty. And I agree with you. You know, they, they really try to instill fear in the people and just mislead them in any way, shape, or form. And when it comes to uh, our gun rights, they put so much fear in guns that the person doesn't even care about their Second Amendment right. They no, think, wait a they second, I can them. shoot a gun? 
that's scary. But to me, it's empowering, right? If we're going to talk about feminism and uh, womanhood, women's rights, <laughs> exactly, women's rights. What in the world is more empowering? Okay, it keeps you safe because guess what? The man is stronger than the woman. So that is you bi- are armed, that's biology, <laughs> right? That's biology. There's only two genders, by the way. Um, and so <laughs> it's important to educate others and to um, stand up for our rights. But moving on from that, the question I have for you is, what is the biggest lesson that you've learned on the campaign trail? Um, I'd have to say it's that, you know, hiring people that you trust and genuinely believe in you is the most important. You know, I haven't, I've only been announced really for, what, two months now. And I, a lot of people that I thought would come out to bat for me, come out and would have my back, whether it was like in the commentating circuit or the organizations I'd work with, they didn't, right? But I had people that I never expected that really came out supporting me, not even just financially, but like getting my message out there or like connecting me with the media that I needed. And so you really learn a lot, a lot about people. You know, people will say a lot until it comes time to take action. And so I've, I've learned a lot in that sense. Um, also too, that, You know, when you're a threat, it doesn't matter who you are. People are going to make things up. And so you really have to be 100% secure in yourself. And then also, too, with your family. Like, I've had things made up. This is just the nasty part of what campaigning is, right? If you're a threat, you're going to have other Republican candidates attacking you. But I am who I am, and I'm a firm believer, and the truth always comes out. We see that every single day with President Trump. I mean, like, look at what's happening with the whole Ukraine thing. These people are trying to lie through their teeth, and they cannot. They cannot stick anything to him because he is being honest with everything that he's doing. And so that's my MO. I, I stay honest and uh, right. people will always be able to tell who you are, even just on that first five to ten minutes of interaction. So I don't ever pretend to be something that I'm not. If I'm at false, I own up to it. And I think that that's how you have to be, especially moving forward in the 20, 21st century with politics and, you know, this thing called social media. <laughs> right. And, you know, to back you up on that, I did see on your social media feed, um, that someone created a fake uh, dating profile for you. And yes. I think that was the biggest <laughs> low blow that someone can possibly do because now they're entering into your personal um, life and the response that you gave was spot on. You know, you are a political candidate, but you're also a person and they shouldn't be messing with, you know, your private life like the way they did. And it's, it's funny too, right? It's like I've been, my husband, for as much as he's traveling with the military, I mean, we're in contact 24-7. And if he's not traveling with the military, he's with me at different events. So he's going to be the one person that will know everything that's going on with my life. So it's like, why even bother trying to do that? <laughs> it's just going to make you, you went through all of that effort. And ironically enough, this person that did create that dating profile, they actually hooked it up to my email. So I was able to reset the password and delete the profile. But the fact that they even did that, it was just to me idiocracy. Like, why even try? <laughs> I agree, Santiago. Yeah, you know, um, I've. <laughs> not, I'm not going to get into uh, a lot of that because uh, <laughs> this show is about you today, Anna Paulina. But um, <laughs> I can tell you that uh, I'm actually. Uh, I, I know the. I know the feeling, and. Uh, you know, I, I love politics because a lot of people, and unfortunately, a lot of people get into politics to look for a career. And something that mm-hmm. I like about you is that you can tell you're in it because you want to fight for America. And you want to fight for the constituents. And uh, yep. you're not in it for personal gain or anything like that. And um, it really hurts no, when you're that. running. Yeah. You're, Sorry, you're I was just... You're running. I... 
Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, like what's interesting about what I did is I got into the medical program. I mean, I didn't have to do this. I also turned down an offer to have my own TV show. I mean, I have turned down a lot to do this and it's not easy. You're working 12 hours a day. You're calling people. You get doors shut in your face. You have doors open. I mean, you're dealing with people's criticisms. You're, you're putting yourself out there and it's not easy. It's not a glamorous thing and people do get into it for the wrong reasons. But I can tell you that if I didn't have that passion and drive, I would have given up a long time ago because to me, I could have had a quiet life made probably 10 times more and not had to deal with some of this nonsense but I'm doing it because I believe in fighting for really not just our country but like against the fact that there's like literally socialism being pushed and a president on presidential platforms I mean this is insane we're not the United States of Russia we're the United States of America and so for me it's you know this is more than just any other campaign trail this is more than just any other presidential this is I think something that's going to define our generation and generations to come I agree, and, and that's the point I was trying to make is that, you know, you're doing all this and you're doing a lot of sacrificing, and, um, you know, when they start touching that personal side, you know, when they try to split you and your spouse or talk about your kids or when they do, you know, that's what makes this all these poli- politics stuff disgusting, and uh, yep. I just want to thank you for standing above that and, and not stooping down to it. I can tell you from personal experience, it's not easy. You feel like responding, and uh, and you know what? Sometimes you have to. Sometimes you need to clarify things because it's gone past the point of no return where you're like, you know what? This this is garbage. Um, you know, but but getting into a, a somewhat of a separate subject here. Um, now I, I want to ask you something about on a more local level. Uh, I'm a big believer of the Tenth Amendment. Um, you know, the Constitution does state that uh, the powers that are not given to the federal government are left to the states or the people. Now, here in the state of Florida, we've been fighting a battle for, I think, the last 13 years uh, over parental consent. And there's a bill that uh, we're fighting really hard right now in Tallahassee, which is uh, it's parental consent bill. And uh, the last time they, they talked about it was uh, literally like a month ago, and four Democrats killed the bill. Now, the state of Florida is ran mainly by, by Republicans. And uh, I, I want to get your thoughts. I mean, you know, how do you feel on something like the parental consent bill in Tallahassee? And also um, tied into that question, going back to, you know, the state's, the state's uh, rights, um, would you also stand up and fight to prevent uh, bills or amendments like the Johnson Amendment that, you know, would infringe on people's religious uh, liberties? Yeah, I think I'm actually, it's funny that you asked me that because I was asked by a reporter locally for the Tampa Bay Times. And, you know, I, I am for two things. One, I don't think that government should come in and tell anyone how to live their life, but also to how they should practice their own religion. So I absolutely am the first person to come out and defend people's freedom of religion. But aside from that, you know, and I, I haven't fully read the bill. So with the red flag, well, I like actually fully read the bill. But on this one, I'll just kind of give you my, my loose response to it. Um, you know, any in any way, shape, shape, state, or form, I think that parents are always going to have an invested interest in um, choosing what's best for their child. And the one thing that I have a problem with right now is I really feel like in education, from a government level down, it's coming to there's a, such a hypersexualization of children. And for me, that makes me uncomfortable. And I'm not a parent yet, but I can tell you that honestly, you know, why are we having children being taught um, and just 
this might be like uncomfortable for some people but like how to masturbate at six years old i mean that's gross and i don't know why more people aren't standing up against this but if you can you have the opportunity to get involved at your school board or at the local level i mean make your voices heard and protest that because it's wrong so yeah i actually i absolutely am for one backing the individual and then backing the state and i will always come out whether or not um you know i i do like to somewhat keep my views on certain things especially in regards to religion because i don't want to push my religion onto other people but in regards to you know back to the state back to the individual in that sense i will always protect that because that's who we are that's why the pilgrims told england to take a hike and left and that's why we're celebrating thanksgiving i mean like this all ties back to freedom of religion that's who we are in the united states of america correct Right. And, uh, and, you know, that, and that's what that parental consent bill is pretty much is government is getting so out there and pretty much trying to run every and micromanage every section of our lives that, you know, they're trying to say, well, you know, if you're a minor and you want to, for example, go get an abortion, you don't need your parents consent for that. Or if you want to go out and get married. I mean, here's my thing. Parents are there to provide emotional support for their children and for them to encourage that. I mean, you look at some things that happen when people are raped and they don't go reporting it. And then you want to bring in like a context of an abortion. I mean, that's something that a parent should be involved with the child for emotional support. Not to mention, I'm not promoting abortion, but it's like, God, at what point do you really stop having government come in and tell you everything that you're doing with your life to include parenting? That's something that's supposed to be sacred between the family. The family unit should be always more powerful than the government. And that's what makes us such a strong nation is we still have people that believe in God, that believe in the family unit, that believe in the founding father's message and that believe in the constitution. And I'm the first person to come out and really defend that, especially when it comes to freedom of religion. Right. And, you know, what we are seeing is that the government in very, in a lot of ways, is becoming God. And here's the thing, is that if people don't believe there is a God, then the notion of good and evil are just merely opinions, right? How do we know what good and evil are? Um, So it's either up to us to decide, for God to decide, or for the government. So what we're seeing is that more and more people are looking to the government, and that is getting incredibly, incredibly dangerous. And now that we are on um, the subject of abortion, I was filming yesterday for my YouTube channel and uh, on, you know, post-abortive recovery. And if you Google post-abortion, it doesn't say post-abortion joy, post-abortion happiness or success stories, post-abortion depression, suicidal thoughts symptoms or bleeding or infection they're the most popular searches on google okay um yeah so the left is really pushing a just disgusting disgusting narrative um towards these women and it, it really breaks my heart but now that we're on that um that subject the final question that i have for you is what would you like to say to Florida women who would like to run for office in the future I think that if you have the opportunity to do it and do it while you're young, take that chance. I've had a lot of people, it's kind of weird, they're like, you have kids yet? I mean, what are you going to do when you have kids? I mean, there's nothing that makes me not able to do my job as a mother or as a future mother or as a wife. In fact, I'm, if anything, more qualified because I feel like everything that I've done to this day has been multitasking every step of the way. So um, don't be afraid of that. Don't listen to what the naysayers might say. I mean, it's not going to be easy, nothing in life 
worth doing is ever easy, right? But um, if you just take the opportunity, take that chance, you can really, you know, you can change the world, you can change the United States, and you can change your community for the better. And I think that if you are, you know, a solid Christian, it is your obligation to kind of take a stand against some of these really extreme um, ideologies that they're pushing to include. And I'm going to tie this back into the late-term abortion argument. I mean, never in my life did I ever think that people would be voting against legislation or voting for legislation to do that or voting against legislation that would provide health care for children that survived botched abortions. I mean, this is just, it's a point in our life where it's almost, it's something out of a, a reality, not even a reality TV show, but something out of a, a sci-fi, right? Like you never think that that's publicly acceptable, but they're pushing it. So stand up, don't be afraid. Um, where you're thinking one thing, you'll be surprised at how many people are saying the very same thing. They're just afraid to speak up. So take that chance. Thank you. Well, Anna, <clears throat> I'd like to uh, thank you for being on our show. Um, listen, you you are a great folks. For those of you listening, uh, this young lady is a great example of what real feminism is all about. Everybody likes the radical left talks about that there's an attack on, on women and their rights. Listen, right now, the narrative that's being pushed is that guys can go in and go in and uh, just say that they uh, identify as a woman, they can go and wrestle, they can do uh, uh, they can do tracks, they can do a bunch of things. They can get, get periods. <laughs> they can get periods, you know, and, and actually, that's that's the real attack on, on women right now because I don't know if you guys have seen it, there's been a lot of people out there, for example, there was a wrestling match not too long ago where the, the transgender uh, a guy who identifies as a woman now actually defeated uh, uh, one of the girls and then another one where they were doing a track and the guy just blew past both of the girls that, 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 that they were doing a thing on national folks that's a real attack on women uh, you know the, the conservative the people on the right we're, we're, we're trying to promote uh, you know we always promote equality and we, and we always want to see women do what they have to do uh, to better themselves and you know Anna Paulina is a good example of this she's not taking any garbage from anybody she's not letting the fact <laughs> that people might be saying but, but you're a woman and you have all these things to do no she's an independent woman she's strong she doesn't have to vote a certain way because she's a woman she has an independent mind and she does what she's gonna do so we, we thank you for being on our show and if you have any last words uh, please go ahead and uh, the floor is yours uh, yeah, if you guys can, go ahead and check out what I have to say on my social media at Real Ana Paulina. That's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And then if you guys can, I always can help with the donations. I am obviously up for the fight of my life right now. And so, um, you know, I know it's before Thanksgiving. If you guys can, every single dollar counts. So please donate. You'll find the donation links on my social media pages as well as my website, www.votanapaulina.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. And uh, thank, thank you, you for so being much, on you guys. Hispanic Flea Ride. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye.